following is an encore episode of the Biz Tools Podcast. Any email addresses, web URLs, or other time-specific information may no longer apply. Please visit davidaspect.com for more information. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Biz Tools Podcast. I'm Jerry Fentress. And I'm David Speck. We are your hosts for this episode of the Biz Tools Podcast. David, each time we do this, you keep the topic very close <laughs> to your vest and spring it on me here at the last second. This time you topped it. You have the, a topic hidden away, but you have an audience for the first time that we have here, and all these people are staring at me. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Usually we are in the palatial studios of, yes. uh, of, of the Biz Tools podcast, but today we decided to go on the road, and we are here at uh, the Biz Breakfast at Cohab in downtown Shreveport, and with all of our uh, guests to the Biz Breakfast, we're going to kind of have a little bit of a different format today. How much did they have to pay? <sighs> well, they didn't have to pay anything, but we had to pay them breakfast to get them here. <laughs> so okay. the idea today, Jerry, is that we're going to take some questions. Now, I know you don't, and I don't. You know, I'm not arrogant enough to say I have all the answers or I may even have many of the answers. But at the same time, I like answering questions. I like trying to solve problems. And so I feel like that if we get some questions that we're not ready for, that some great content may come out of it and some great answers may come out of it. So that's kind of how we're going to do things. We're going to invite people to the microphone to ask their business questions. And then you and I are going to tackle them. And guess what? It's okay to say, I don't know. Good. So... We're going to get this thing started. Who's first? Who's first? Dr. Jack, come on up. Oh, no. <laughs> Dr. Jack is famous for asking the toughest questions. So feel free to just pick up the microphone and, and ask your question. I have to pick up the microphone. You don't have to pick it up, but you can. I got the question first. You get the question Dr. first. Dr. what? Dr. what? Dr. of what? I'm an orthopedic surgeon. Oh, okay. Can you help my knee? It pops a lot. It's possible. <laughs> it depends. It depends. Why are you here? Uh, because I, you know, have an interest in learning about business tools that I didn't get taught in medical school. Oh, cool. Very good. Very good. What's your question, sir? All right. So my question is: I'm affiliated with an institution. Y'all may have seen all the news in the paper this week about this particular institution I'm affiliated with. And you had a good conference last week, or biz breakfast last week, where you talked about you have to respect other people because it was a good point that you made that everybody's out there trying to make a living. I'm in the system, and I'm about to be impacted. Besides being impacted by other things in the medical world, I'm about to be impacted by something that's happening in within the system. And I'm one of the physicians who gets called by doctors around the state to see particular patients. And my patients aren't necessarily patients that have private insurance. These are doctors who call me because they have patients who may not have any money, but they know that if they call me, they're going to get response to their, to their concerns about their patients. So the system is now about to put in place something that's going to impact how I treat my patients, which would be a centralized scheduling by people who don't understand the concept of patient care. How can you help me survive in that business environment? <laughs> Take it away, David. All right. When I said Dr. Jack knows how to ask tough questions, boy, he gets them right out of the gate. And for your question, you are more than welcome to take the book Good to Great as our gift to you for being first. That being said. Thank you, audience. Oh, don't leave. <laughs> your scenario 
describes for me a biz breakfast that we've had and a, and a podcast that we've had based on the book, Who Moved My Cheese? Because cheese moving is not always your, your, you know, your market shifting, but it can be your environment changing and, and making things more difficult for you to do business. Um, in the medical field, you're kind of in a, in a quandary because you want to be entrepreneurial, but if, if the bulk of your revenues and the bulk of your clients come from a system where they're assigned to you, and, and as a specialist, that's, that's really kind of how everything works. You know, GP, then, then, then they assign it to you. You, you kind of have to work within that system. But at the same time, ha- is there a method that you can embrace that you can move your practice to somewhere else that, that is not part of that system, but maybe part of a private system or part of another type of charity system? Or... Is there a way that you can work within that system, you know, not working around it, but 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 really understanding how the centralized scheduling works, really understanding how, how, how the process works to where you can make it most efficient to get the people who need to see you to you. You know, I wish there was like you could just click a switch and this would open up the, the gate of flow uh, of clients to you. But unfortunately, when you're when you're dealing with you know, for lack of a better term, other people's money to, to pay for the, the job. There come, you know, there's all kinds of strings that come along with that and all kinds of red tape that come along with that. So you're, you know, you're kind of in a tough mix. But at the same time, I think of things and, and, and this is, are, are there grants to help pay for pro bono work for in the medical field to where you don't have to deal with this system? Or are there avenues by which, you know, maybe in the you know, and I know, I know Christus is kind of retooled, but in the charity system of a religious medical community, I don't know. But that's what I would say. Say, where can I find more cheese while I'm navigating the, che- the maze that I'm currently in? Because that's really the choice I see that you, you're facing is that I either change my entire business model and go do either what I do in a different place or do something completely different or figure out how to navigate where I'm at in a better fashion and knowing that the potential for that fashion can change with the next cycle of people being elected. Jerry, what do you think? I think you ought to take two aspirin and uh, <laughs> call me back. Uh, I, I worked in the radio business for 35 years here. A lot of it was here in Shreveport, Bossier. In the span of five years, I went from an owner of one man to the largest radio company in the world. In the world. And everything changed. My cheese got moved. And all of the Many regulations, diagrams, how to do the business is it's coming down from the top to control all these radio stations all across the United States. The cheese really was moved. I had to decide if I wanted to stay in the business and if I wanted to stay here. I have a family. I wanted to stay here. And so I had to learn to adapt, to listen a lot, ask questions, and adapt. And a lot of times I had to, to do it their way. I had to learn to accept that if I wanted to continue in the radio business, if I wanted to continue in Shreveport, Bossier. Now, that, that, that's what I did. How about the audience? What would you do? Oh, I see. I'm wondering if there's an opportunity maybe at what the health clinics locally, like David Rain's Medical Center, where you could affiliate with them and see these clients or patients that you might not be able to see in your private practice. It really gets down to... Um, a super specialist. And I'm gonna maybe go out on a limb here, but I'm a I'm a tumor orthopedic tumor surgeon. So here's the challenge that I have. I'm at LSU. So over my career at LSU, I've pretty much taken care of you know, I've taken care of patients that have had insurance, Medicaid, Medicare, no insurance. So my approach to this is I look at there's another orthopedic oncologist at Oshner, 
probably one at Children's Hospital in New Orleans. Then there's MD Anderson, mm -hmm. which a lot of people get referred to from this area. And then for the kids, there's St. Jude. So if you if you look at, you know, I estimate that maybe there's 4 million people in the state. So from if you consider that our state's 40% indigent, I am the primary care orthopedic oncologist for 1.4 million people. Mm. <laughs> Do you know John Monick? Yeah, I know John. Yeah. yeah. He teaches at the hospital or the, um, the school, but he also does his own private practice where he sees patients. And he sees, he sees my son, frankly. Um, my son has a condition that is highly rare, and it, it really it triggers the conversation for me to hear you say that about your specialists uh, or specially specializing in um, in uh, oncology and tumor removal and so forth. But would it, would a conversation with John be of use to you to talk about how he uh, bridges that difference or? Uh, it would, but you know, the, the challenge for me is that I'm pretty much accessible to any physician that calls me mm -hmm. for any patient that they have, whether it's insurance or no insurance. So when they contact me, by me having control over my clinic, I can go, I have a clinic, I'll see them next week. Well, if it gets turned over to a central scheduling company, they may not schedule the patient for 90 days because they don't understand the complexity of the medical problem. So that's the part of this discussion that's been mm -hmm. in the news for the past week is that we as physicians know the complexity of the situation, particularly at a referral center like LSU, whereas the people who are taking over the management, I don't think really understand how, when the private doctors contact us, what we're doing with our patients. Right. And that's the discussion that's not been out there. I understand that. And I've been given that referral to that particular surgeon, and we knew him when we came into town. Well, when I looked him up through the, the, uh, the ways that you find another surgeon in this area, I found him through LSU. I called and made that appointment. It was weeks and weeks and weeks out, mm -hmm. and he's an infant with a kidney condition. You know, that's not appropriate to wait weeks and weeks and weeks. When I checked in with the, the PA who saw us at LSU, who did not see Dr. Mata that day, he intimated to me, ma'am, you have insurance. Did you know that we have a private clinic where you can be seen? They had a totally different scheduling system. I called. We were in the next day. So is it possible for you not to utilize central scheduling for your private practice like he does? Well, it, I mean, I, I don't use centralized scheduling. What, what they're, because of the situation that you just brought up where Dr. Mata has a private clinic where he sees people that have insurance, but he also sees the other patients. So now the new model is that you know they want to take over all the scheduling for all the clinics, whether they're private or not. So it, it changes the entire, it really changes the cheese. Yeah. Another thing that, that, that struck my mind as you were talking, as long as government is involved, it's going to be difficult. But that being said, we are still a representative form of government. So you can really just, you know, knock down the doors of your of your state senators and your state representatives and at least get the discussion out there and say, look, we understand why you're trying to take this to this direction, but let me show you the flaws in your good intentions. And let me explain, let me show you a case study or, a, or an individual who's not going to get seen because of centralized scheduling that really needs to be seen in this time frame, or else it's going to be very detrimental to their lives. Let's get the discussion going, and then maybe, you know, that you can bring some sense down to the capital, and 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 they can modify the system. James. One thing that we apply to all of our business, one of the reasons why uh, LSU is in shape is, is because everybody knew there was a problem and it was never dealt with until it got to the public eye. 
once it got to the public line, there was this rush to try to change something. And now a lot of people are going to be adversely affected because they have to fix problems. In our own businesses, we have to make sure that, that we fix problems when we see them, not let them fester, or wait till they become a public problem in order to deal with it. Yes, you know, that's... That's very true. You know, I'm a non-confrontational person. You ask anybody in my office, I hate to call somebody into my office and read them the right act. It's just not in my nature. But problems don't go away. They just grow. And much like a cancer, you know, a problem, an unaddressed problem in your business can, can grow to where it starts affecting your good people. And so, you know, your lack of action or my lack of action can really sink the whole ship. And, and I think what James is getting at is that here we are, and the ship's like, you know, it's been taking on water for a long time, and now we've gotten people who want to get reelected involved in trying to, to save it, but at the same time, they're rushing without thinking everything through. But the good news is, is that they have the ability to modify. In my opinion, that's probably another route to at least explore. See if you can get an audience. See if you can explain it to somebody. It may not fix the problem now, but you might be able to get that problem fixed in, in one or two more legislative cycles to where, you know, it's a, it's a bump in the road and not, and not a pitfall. Let's move on. Next question. You got anything else? Is that it? I appreciate that. I think, you know, that's kind of the reason why I wanted to bring it up because, you know, at least with this forum, you have an opportunity to get a, another perspective out there that's For not sure. really out there. And I want to also compliment, you know, Biz, because I've been coming to these breakfasts for about two months. And I remember when I first came, you actually, you know, you were, you've been giving away free books. And one of the books that I got was Who Moved My Cheese. So I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I've been talking to somebody in this room and I've been telling him about a book. And I'm not sure he ever went and got it. So I have a, I have a book in right. conjunction with your giving of books. I have a book for somebody. And I'd like Jim Rooney to come up. <laughs> and Jim, and I... I have the book to go give her for you. Thank you, Jack. You're welcome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. All right. And you get that's to sit one, in a chair and answer next question. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who's got the next question? Come on up. The great John Grindley, cohab master of ceremonies and all things downtown other than Liz. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I got, I've got a real one. Is, uh, something that's been kind of on my mind lately, and I know you guys probably deal with it sometimes too, is when you're kind of at that frustration point of, burnout but you can't like take a vacay and you can't <laughs> and you can't and how do you how do you deal with with when you're kind of burning the candle at both ends and you've got deadlines and you've got things and problems you've got to solve but you're just not in that that headspace to problem solve i guess yeah um sean likes using the term i'm out of bandwidth you have to take a break okay i know that's like the most evil thing that an entrepreneur can hear is i have to take a break but you really have to get away from things. And, and, and this was one of the hardest things. I, I worked for years without taking a vacation unless I was going to a conference for my business. How many have ever gone to a conference for your business going, well, I'll call it my vacation this year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, so, so, but what I learned was you've got to decompress. Yeah. You've got to not think about what's going on back at the office. And unless you have faulty wiring, the place is not going to burn down while you're gone. We think it will. We think that people can't survive without us. We as entrepreneurs don't think anybody can do it as good as we can. I'm, I'm the worst at that. You could ask Sean. I'm the guy who swoops in and says, get out of my way. Just let me do it. I'll do it faster. I'll do it better. I'll do it. But as long as you do that, what you do is never going to scale. And if you can't break away, you're never going to scale. So what you do is you say, okay, my breaking away, I'm going to bring somebody in that's working with me, even if it doesn't fall under their purview necessarily, but they have the potential. And you say, listen, this is going to be a test. 
I'm going to leave and I'm not going to think about this place for, you know, and if, if you can't do it for a full week, do it for three days, but, but say, I'm not going to think about this place. You're going to be the one. And these are the things I want you to accomplish. And I'm going to check on them when you get back, when I get back, it reminds me of the, uh, of the story. And I know I use biblical references a lot, but it reminds me of the story of the parable of the talents. You know, the master goes away and he gives one talent to one servant, two to another, five to another. And the ones that had two and five doubled the money. The one that had one buried it in the ground because he was scared. It was literally a test to see, can these people be trusted with more? And I think as entrepreneurs, that's what we've got to do is just start testing the waters. Not, not like on a, you know, you don't want to do it on a, a startup prize weekend. Right. But on a normal weekend, maybe you leave on a Thursday. Say, look, I'm not going to be back till Monday. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. And I'm going to check on things on Monday. And then you see if it took place. If it didn't take place, yeah, you're going to be a little stressed and you're going to have to jump through hoops to get it done. But at the same time, you're going to come back a little refreshed because you did disconnect. Don't take your phone. Turn off your email. They can handle it. I I promise you, you you know, I went on a a seven-day cruise for the first time in my entire life back in May. You can't have cell phone there. Not unless you're willing to pay through the nose. You can't have Wi-Fi unless you're willing to pay through the nose. So literally, I went dark for seven whole days. And as soon as I woke up early in the morning, we pulled back into Galveston. And of course, I'd grab my iPad and start going through emails and stuff. No major problems. The place survived for an entire week without any contact from me. (laughs) And that taught me a a valuable lesson. And and really, I've started to delegate more because I felt confident that I could. And that's what it takes. You got to just, you got to take baby steps. It may not be, you know, but if you're hitting burnout, well, I mean, that's the last you thing know, you want to have. I, I took a two-week vacation, you know, earlier this year. It's not that. I think it's more about, yeah, you know, where do you get those mini breaks, and how do you mm-hmm. get kind of quality out of not quantity of time? You well, know? well, it's, it, I'll give you an example. Next week, I've got to go pick up the football preview for the Bozier Press Tribune in Dallas on a Friday. I'm leaving Thursday night and not coming back till Sunday. Good I'm going to turn it into a, a yeah. long weekend. I'm taking my wife. We're going to, you know, I'll be running around Dallas with a pallet of papers in the back of my truck, but that's fine. We're getting away. And when I get back on Monday, I'll be ready to hit the ground running because I did have that break even for just a few days. Jerry. You're looking at me? Sure. He takes well, a break in his office every afternoon. The door's closed. <laughs> I do. I do do that. Don't you guys take a nap? Nobody else? Do? That's good. It's really. What? Yeah, every it's not day. long. I envision all everybody's coming by and looking in the little crack between the door and just seeing what I'm doing in there. Uh, one, I would say, do it. Words are cheap. If you're going to disconnect, disconnect. Right. And that's really hard for a lot of people to do. I had a boss who, whenever he went on vacation, he called me every day. Have we sold anything? <laughs> What's going on? What can I, that sort of thing. It was terrible on me, and I think it was bad for him. But he couldn't let go. When you let go, it makes me feel good. Yeah. The guys and gals around wherever you are yeah. that you entrust to do things for you, when you can say, I'm going away and I'm going to disconnect, you guys can run it, you'll be, be great. It, it helps them have the courage and wherewithal to run the business, to do what they're supposed to do, even though you're not there. Yeah. It's not just you. The other thing is I, I have a great friend, my wife, who will listen. And so I can I can uh, spit out some things like David was saying that just by me speaking about them can help me think this is a good idea. This might be this way or that way. Uh, so having another person in your life 
that you can talk to that you know is never going past them is a great resource for coming to decisions about what you want to do and and how to do it. All right, guys. Come on up, Molly. I mean, I know we can hear you, but we can't really hear you. Do we have to talk to her? Yes. Oh, Jerry. (laughs) Um, to, to John's point, because I've been in the trenches with John, and I and I understand um, where burnout would be coming from for him. And I think, you know, we were talking about business conferences a second ago, but sometimes I think burnout comes because we're doing what we know to do, and we just keep trying it and hoping that something's <laughs> going to stick. But I find it so rejuvenating to be among uh, other people of like minds in similar industries to see what's cutting edge out there. What are other people doing? And, you know, those trips are a break for your staff, but they're also a shot in the arm for you. And I just worked a, um, a shot a conference. I photographed a conference down in New Orleans about hospice care. But man, I left that place. It didn't feel like work. There were so many compassionate and empathetic people in that space, and they were so passionate about what they did that I got a residual benefit. You know, we talk about that rising tide. I got a residual benefit of just being in that space, hearing how they're uh, utilizing new ideas in their industry. Um, Of course, it would be better and and a more direct shot to be at a conference that's related to what you do. But um, I would encourage you to look for ways to to go and see what's being done, even if you're Skyping into a conference, just new ideas, because it, it, it was really helpful to me. Another benefit of, of conferences that, that you may not be aware of, or maybe you are, war stories. It's so nice to go to a place where people do what you do in a different market, but yet they face the same challenges that you face. Because a lot of times we feel like a man out in the wilderness. You know, I'm the only one doing this and I'm the only one who faces these problems. And I remember going to some newspaper ones and it's like, you know, we can't get these merchants to do anything. You know, they they would help their own business if they had advertised, but we can't get them to, you know, and, and it's like, yeah, our, you know, our, our town has the same problem or our, our, you know, our publication has the same problem or we're trying to solve it. And, and even if you don't solve the problem, just like what we talked about before, you know, Talking about it somehow makes you feel better. Even if you don't reach resolution, talking about it with somebody else. I I can remember countless conferences where I came away from it energized. Now, one caveat about conferences. Do not waste your time and money if you're not going to implement at least one thing that you learned at the conference. Because that happened to me countless times. I would come back, just especially when I was in middle management, I would come back pumped up and I go, man, we need to do it like this and we need to go over here and we need to do this and we need to implement this. And either I got shot down or the routine of work got in the way and it got put back burner, back burner, back burner to no burner. And so really I wasted my time going away for three days, two days, one day. If you're not going to implement it, don't waste, implement one thing. You don't have to take everything they say as this is the way you've got to do it, but, but try to implement one thing out of each conference. And I think you'll find you'll, you'll get a whole lot more out of it and see a lot more value in it. Cause I guarantee you there's people out there, especially those of you who work for others that say conferences are worthless. It's a waste of money. Well, it's only a waste of money because they never implemented anything out of those conferences. My, uh, personally, I adapted the goal that I was going to find one. I had to listen. I love conferences. And I, if I go there with the goal of hearing, finding one strong idea that I can take back, I would find it. It was up to me. 
equally up to the speakers and so forth, but it was up to me to find it. I could be in the bar, I could be anywhere else, I could be not listening, I could be on my iPhone or whatever it is. But I went to find something, hear something, and then I, uh, I think I've become an excellent listener. And that's important when you go, because if you listen, people will tell you all kinds of interesting things. I think probably a future biz breakfast needs to be um, how to get the most out of the conferences you go to with some practical steps to how to bring home something that, that you can use. Because if you don't go there with the intention of bringing something home, you won't. It's just that simple. You'll enjoy the time away. You'll enjoy the interaction. You may make a friend or two or a contact in the business. But what are the steps that you can take to make sure you get the most out of any conference you attend? That'll be a future biz breakfast, I believe. Good. Next. One more time for one more question before we have to shut her down. Make it good. Oh, it is. <laughs> so um, I'm flying robots with cameras on them and other sensory stuff, right? And uh, established business around the world and around the country, but just not here. And the problem is that a service like mine gets paid something like three, $4,000 to do a job. But nobody wants to pay that here. And I can find work if I lower my price down to something like two or $300 a job, but it's the same work and that's a big pay difference. So as a business owner, my problem is, should I go with the cheaper price and risk insulting my audience, ruining reputation by jacking it up later? Or should I just try to look for the jobs that are at the price point that I want to work for? <laughs> I mean, as, as a service, there's no, there's no thing. Oh, oh. There's a whole lot of people all over the room wanting oh, to answer your question. So let's, let's, let, let, let's let them, uh, Let's let them hit it. And I went to a conference about three weeks ago. Actually, it was on a cruise to Alaska, and I liked the fact that I had to turn my cell phone off. So. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a business conference, and it, it, it's put on by a guy. And I had no, I had no idea that this was such a large industry, even though I, I'm a triathlete and I actually coach swimming and stuff. But the guy has one of the most successful swim schools in the, the world. And so there were people from all over the world. And so in one of his presentations, he said he had a particular price. And so at, that, at that particular price for his business, it was stressing the system. What he found was if he raised his price, it decreased the stress on the system and he made twice as much money. But what he did say, you have to look at, at your market and figure out where your price is. You don't want to lower your price just because it's going to bring you more business if it's going to compromise what you're going to do. You want to evaluate your price based off of what the market holds, but also what you're able to deliver. I would also say that um, that's a rookie mistake. It's a first-year business mistake, and it's a thing that you do out of fear and anxiety that what you do is not worth the money you're charging. You have to understand the value of what you do and the product that you offer. And then you have to communicate that value to your customer base. Now, not everybody is your target market. And there are going to be, there are some things I can't, I don't buy because I can't afford. I'm not the demographic for that particular product. I'd love to be in a lifestyle where I could afford it, but I can't. You don't worry about those people. You worry about the folks that need your product and you communicate the value of what you offer to those folks in such a way that they can't live without it. It's not about the dollar amount. You need to do the cost-benefit analysis and do your research and make sure you're getting paid for that service to the level where you can pay your taxes, pay yourself, and pay for your supplies that you need to do the job. You know, the 333. But it's really about 
offering a solution to a problem and how much is that worth to the person that's sitting in front of you? If I can add to what both of them have said, um, and, and we've, we've learned this even, even with, with the launch of the biz products, you've got to educate your target market. You're just going to have to, especially if it's a product that's never been done before locally. And also identify, you know, as you were talking, I'm like, okay, who, you know, you basically, you, you're shooting, shooting video, shooting stills using drones. Am I, is that the, the basics of your business? Can we call it a UAV? Whatever. <laughs> but at the same time, you say, okay, who needs this? What size companies need this? If you find the right company, I, and I, I think of places like um, oil and gas. Oil and gas may have a use for that, and three grand, four grand, five grand is nothing to them. But if you're trying to get downtown development to shoot, you know, pictures of the skyscrapers at a different level, they may not be your target market. So evaluate, find out where your market is, then start communicating with them, start getting getting in touch with them, do your practicing, do your, you know, prepare, you know, research that company, find, not only find out who you need to talk to, but how you need to talk to them. I worked for a radio station locally, and we had the highest rates in the town, by far, and we got them. Part of the reason we got those rates, and people like to compare a pound radio is the same thing as a pound of radio over here, which wasn't true. We had to plan, prepare, and practice how we react to people who say, that's a lot of money. And we had to react in such a way and practice it that, yes, you're right, and let me tell you why it's worth that. And so we had to learn our product very well and why we priced it the way we did. And the more we did that, the more business we got. The more we held the position, walked the talk, act like it was worth a lot, dressed like it was worth a lot, spoke like it's worth a lot, more, it seemed more people wanted it. We learned that people want things that they can't have. And at first, they're think, but then they think, why is so much more? And they figure there's got to be a reason for that. And the value, we kept talking about the value of the product over and over. you got to bite the bullet and keep saying that and talking about that and practicing that. And I'm a guy that preaches that all the time to salespeople, and we do a lot of practicing in front of the camera and watch each other and do that sort of thing. I think that's what you're hearing from everybody. That, yeah. it, And we, we knew that if we lowered the price, it was hell to pay. You can edit that. <laughs> it was hell to pay to bring it up. They're watching in the... Mm -hmm. And they're saying, I got it for less last time. What are you going to do? You're raising the price all the time. And so we, we learned we needed to set the price that we thought was of value to the client. I'll, I'll give you an example of my own personal business life. I like to think of myself as somewhat of a forward-thinking individual, willing to pay what something's worth. But, you know, five years ago, um, we were trying to engage in something with a, with a company for our um, newspaper. We were going to sell the photos that we took in you know in a format that people could have them printed downloaded whatever and, but it, we, we we couldn't handle that on our own so we were going to go with a service to do it and it had a, a certain rate to, to start and then a monthly rate for whatever and all that to us it was an exorbitant amount of money i mean we had to have meetings upon meetings just to discuss whether or not it was worth it and i'm talking less than a thousand bucks i mean we were thinking you know good lord you know 300 400 500 that's a lot of money we're a small business etc Fast, you know, so we did decide to go with the company, and, and, and long story short on that is, is, is we've gone a different direction because it, it wasn't the right fit for us. But now, fast forward, we're, we're looking at, at some solutions for our current businesses that are exponentially higher than what we were looking at five years ago, 
but we've learned over the last five years about value and about convenience and about professionalism and about turnkey operations that all have value to them. You know, can I do something? Yes. But can I do it as efficiently as somebody else who that's all they do? No, I can't. Can I do it to the quality that they do? No, I can't. Can I, you know, and every moment I spend doing that is moments away that I'm taking from my normal business. So there's all value incorporated in that. But it took me five years to learn that lesson. And, and, and that's what I'm saying. You're going to have to take a long-term approach and understand that the education process to your market is going to be the most important thing you do on the front end. And it's not going to matter what price you charge. If they don't see the value in it, you could charge you know, $500 and it's going to be too much. But if you do show them the value, you can charge $5,000 and they'll gladly sign on the dotted line. I think that's it. So thank you, everybody, for, for everything. That will do it for this episode of the Biz Tools Podcast. We hope that you... <laughs> we hope you have found the information today useful for your business. If you have any questions, please post them in the comments section of the show notes. We'll do the best to answer them. The show notes for this and all of our episodes are available at biztoolspodcast.com. You can also subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. We'd love for you to rate our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Be sure to say Jerry was great (laughs) so that more people will know about it. We really would appreciate the feedback. So until next time. Remember, applied knowledge is power. Be the leader you were always meant to be. So long, everybody.